You are listening to the Radiant Brilliant Show podcast. I'm your host, Kimberly Kalima. The Radiant Brilliant Show podcast purpose is to highlight the many talented, creative, and accomplished Muslims in the Ummah, offering them a stage to speak on how their skills and abilities are used to help better the communities and the world. Thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of the Radiant Brilliant Show. Tonight's podcast is geared to the bookworms, those of us who live through the pages of books, novels, and short stories. As Muslim fiction becomes more and more of an in-demand item, it seems only fair to highlight and bring to the public's attention who some of those authors are. Tonight, my special guest is an author who has been in her craft for over 20 years, who does anything for over 20 years anymore. That's true dedication. Her name is Um Jawabia, and I will read a quote from her bio that she has on her blog spot, and we will have that information at the end of the interview. Says, being a dreamer and creative writer, Umjawadia continues to break boundaries, make big plans, shove open doors that Muslim women aren't usually invited to. She doesn't mind the stairs at her job. Her goal is to craft her stories by any means necessary. Umjawadia holds a master's degree with honors from Regis University, a bachelor's degree with honors from Bay Path University for women in Longmeadow, Massachusetts, and she's currently pursuing a doctorate degree in educational leadership. She's an international educator and the owner of Kansas Enrichment Online, a supplemental educational service, and the creator of Muslim Girls Read, a literacy initiative geared towards inner city American Muslim girls and young women. I would like to welcome you to the call, Umjawadia. Thank you so much for your time. Assalamu alaikum. Alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much. Yes, of course. I will just dig right into it because I've been on your blog page. I've read several articles from you and I see your name popping up for different items and different occasions in social media. When did you know that writing was your calling or your purpose? Um, well, I, I would have to go back. I, I, I'm a reader. I love to read. I'm an avid reader. And I would say that reading is my first love. And I learned to read in kindergarten, my mother told me, and I've been reading in, in, in a love affair with books ever since. Definitely, I believe that my, my love of writing developed from my love of reading. So probably since third or fourth grade, I remember just writing stories. I would read and then I would try to, you know, kind of like fan fiction, write my own sort of spin on some of the stories that I enjoyed. Now, were you in any creative writing classes at school? Yeah. Probably in middle school, I started to join different groups for writing and theater arts, which is another love of mine, and playwriting and things like that. And then in high school, I was on the, the newspaper, the yearbook club and the newspaper club, and I was in the theater club. So all of those things sort of came together. In my 10th grade year of high school, I was selected um, in a citywide competition to start writing for new teen section of uh, the Sunday Republican newspaper in Springfield, Massachusetts. I was the first Muslim girl to do that in my city. And then it just continued on into, into college. I find it very interesting that you discovered your interest in writing very early and you didn't sway from it. There are a lot of people that I've spoken with who state that they felt that was their purpose when they were young and then they got distracted by life. 
how did you mm-hmm. continue on that path? I'm hearing a few things that you're saying regarding writing with the, the yearbook and then theater. It kind of all goes together. Yeah. Um, you know, as I was born and raised Muslim. And again, going back to the reading, it was safe. You know, the library was safe, a place that, you know, if I said, oh, you know, Umi, I want to go to the library, they never said no. It gave me um, reading and then writing was like a refuge from everything that goes on in a young Muslim girl's life, you know. So when things got difficult for me, you know, I would retreat back to my books and back to my journal and back to my notebooks and to create something, a safe place for myself. You also have quite a few things listed where you cater to the youth. And one Mm -hmm. thing that I did read, it says in the early 2000s, you became one of the founding members of the International Islamic Writers Alliance. Mm -hmm. Why did that come together? What was the reason that that alliance was needed that you feel? Oh, subhanAllah, that was just Allah um, putting me in the right place at the right time. The Islamic Writers Alliance was such a huge part of my growth and development as a Muslim author. Um, you know, a couple of sisters, and this is early on, we, we were on the Yahoo group chat. This was before <laughs> Facebook and Instagram. This was like your, your old school um, internet groups where it was like a listserv of people on the group. And I was in another group for young Muslim women and I met a sister, an older sister who was a principal of an Islamic school at the time. And um, she was up in Worcester, Massachusetts. And she had put out a post that they, um, and that was uh, Sister Jamila Kolontrinis, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. And she put out a post that they, you know, they were getting together with some other sisters to do some writing. And if anybody was interested to, to join them. And at the time, again, I was the youngest sister to join that group. It was led by Sister Linda Delgado. We also call her We Dad from um, Tempe, Arizona. Um, and she later went on to, to start Muslim Writers Publication. And she was the director of uh, the Islamic Writers Alliance. And in that group, you just had writers from all over the world, you know, who are some of the big names today. Um, And it was just really a um, a learning group for us to to learn together. Tell me about the size of a mustard seed story. The size of a mustard seed was my first baby, my first uh, birth into the writer's world. I had done so many different things before that. The Islamic Writers Alliance, we had put out a lot of different anthologies and I was busy doing a lot of editing. And I was also the, uh, the Islamic writer's uh, web developer at that time. But as I'm learning and, and writing and doing all these different things with the sisters and groups, I started to write my first novel, The Size of a Mustard Seed. And it's based here in New England. It was based in, in Massachusetts, which is where I'm from, born and raised. And in the urban flair to it, um, I had started to read. Of course, I had read... Um, my last year of high school, Um Zakia's book, and I always have to point that out and give props to Um Zakia, who is still a you know a good friend of mine. Um, I read her book first, <laughs> and really that was my aha mo- moment. Like, oh wow, I can do this, or you know, Muslim fiction. And I started to write 
urban Islamic fiction, I gave it a spin on, you know, just really focusing on city characters, city Muslims and life in the inner city, um, growing up into building on my own experiences, growing up in the inner city as a young Muslim girl, um, what we go through. Um, and I started with 9-11 because I think that was pivotal for myself and for a lot of Muslim um, all over the world. Things changed for us. So yes. the size of the mustard seed, um, the main character, Jamila Saleh, is a young 27-year-old Muslim woman who, um, she lives in the inner city. She's a hairstylist. Um, he's in college to, to get a business degree. She has a very big, large Muslim family. Her family's interracial. And she, her father wants her to get married. 9-11 comes and he's like, you know, you're living on your own. I think it's time for you um, to have a spouse, to have some, some protection. And so in that book, um, it really is so many things going on, but as the protagonist of the story, the main struggle, the main issue for Jamila is um, growth and learning and to, to figure out what type of husband does she want? Who is she interested in? And then, of course, she has her sister who's going through some issues. She has a brother who's going through some issues, and it just all comes together at the end. Wow. I want to say that, and thank you for sharing that for anyone who's listening, so you can go check it out. We've got the little free cliff notes. I like that you mentioned Sister Um Zakia, not only because mm -hmm. she's a writer whose works that I enjoy, but the fact that that is a sign of support within the Muslim authorship community. A lot of times there's only one person who's allowed to be the representative. And there are mm -hmm. so many of us with so many stories. So mm -hmm. the fact that you can, for lack of a better word, you know, shout her out, mm -hmm. keeping it inclusive that you are supporting another sister, another businesswoman, I think that's beautiful. So I want to thank you for that. Alhamdulillah, we do, we do. And um, she's very supportive of all the other writers. She's definitely, for me, and I, and I say this all the time, I think that she was pivotal in starting this Muslim fiction um, in the United States and opening the door for Muslims of color to really tell our story. So she's very important to my journey and to many other Muslim writers as well. And I have no problem shouting her out because I think she's important to what we do. Well, alhamdulillah, I hope people are listening to this and see that there is no competition in, in the issue of everyone who's trying to help each other grow. No, com no room for competition. No That's room for competition. No. Now, what drew me to you, I what made me reach out to you, was we are actually in a mutual group, so many groups on Facebook. And there were different controversial topics being discussed. And you mentioned that in one of your most recent books, that there were topics that you covered that were kind of hard for other people to deal with. And that really drew my attention. For some of the issues that you feel are difficult for people to talk about, you mentioned the book, your book, Tried and Tested, that it had mm -hmm. some subjects that were a little touchy and, and controversial. I wanted to ask if you could list possibly what a few of those topics were and what made you address them. Um, tried and Tested is very different for me. It took me two years to write that just because I, I was afraid 
I was afraid of, of what I was writing down. At the end of the day, you know, after seeking, you know, consultation with my Lord and, and making dua, um, I felt like it was very much needed to open those doors and to bring some things to life that don't often get discussed. Mental health issues. One of the characters in the book is hiding that she is bipolar and how that affects her marriage, you know, and her family relations, her ability to work and her ability to take care of her children. Another person is suffering from PTSD, post-stress traumatic syndrome, due to domestic violence. So those are two other issues, um, domestic violence and how that affects Muslim women and how we don't often talk about that. But there are many sisters who are struggling with these after effects of being um, abused emotionally, physically, mentally, and we need to talk about that. We don't often talk about the fact that some of our children run away. And that's also dealt with in this book. Um, a young sister, she meets a man who is not Muslim and she leaves home with him and how that affects her family and how that affects her years on in. And how do you reconcile that as a community, as parents, as Muslims? Um, what about forgiveness? I also talk about in tried and tested incarceration. We have so many young brothers and sisters in the jail cell. Uh, my father worked in the correctional facility as a chaplain, a Muslim chaplain for 25 years. And so that was important to our family to working with and helping to keep down the recidivist numbers. But it's a, it's a huge issue. It's a huge issue. But also, what are some of the reasons why Muslim men and women are in jail? So I discuss all of those different things. And, uh, and, then, and also just patience and, and forgiveness and um, the last one also was alcoholism. I talked about that as well in this book. One of the characters who was also domestic violence, uh, she also was dealing with some forms of alcoholism through the PTSD. So there's a lot of different things that are talked about and discussed and tried and tested, and it's a very different book. I don't think there is any other Muslim fiction book that has touched on all of those things in one story. It's definitely a, a roller coaster ride. Uh, of a story and it's different and it's in it's I hope inshallah honest the reason why I discuss those things is just as myself as an educator and dealing and working I'm an urban educator first before I have moved overseas and was working internationally most of my experiences were in the inner city teaching high school and um, college freshmen and so many of my students Muslim and non-Muslim dealing with families and dealing with in themselves lots of issues that I talked about. So drawing on those experiences and my father's experience working in the prisons um, in Massachusetts, those, those are the things that I, that was how I crafted this story. Why do you think that it's so hard for people to address some of the, the issues that you spoke on? They're very real. They're very relevant. Mm -hmm. They're very everyday. Why are people afraid to approach them? Yeah, I talk about that in the book too. Um, because it's hurtful and painful and, you know, we're human and it's hard to pull back those layers. You know, we want to, especially as Muslims, because we have this understanding that we want to hide our sins. We don't want to expose ourselves, right? We want a law to cover us. We want to make sure that, that if you could, it's one part that we, we feel like, okay, we're weak. We're sinning. We're doing these things and it's wrong. And some of us, we know it's wrong. Some of us don't know it's wrong, but you're in, in battled in this, this back and forth. 
And so the other issue was like, okay, if I'm too weak to stop, at least, at the very least, maybe Allah will forgive me because I, I cover my sins. So we have an issue where we don't seek, a lot of Muslims don't seek out help for their issues because they feel like they're going to expose themselves and they're going to expose other people. So they suffer. They don't understand that part of Islam is to take care of your health. And your mental health is included in that. Your physical health is included in that. If you're sick, then you're supposed to go to a doctor or you're supposed to go to a therapist or you're supposed to, you know, have those conversations with your families and things like that. But it's very difficult for Muslims to to reveal things about themselves, I think. I agree with everything that you said, and I really do like your explanation. Uh, Sometimes you do have to peel back the layers to get to the core of what the problem is. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, this last half of the podcast, I would like to go into some of the projects that you've been involved in. What I did notice, and we hinted on earlier, were the children's books. You didn't leave out the children, so thank you very much. What moved you to write for for kids as well? Well, I have children. I'm a mother of three, and I'm also an educator. Um, I don't normally work with, you know, your K through eighth graders. Uh, I'm more on the high school end and, and, and college freshmen and, and sophomores, but I have young children. I wanted to represent them. There's a lot of Muslim children literature. There is, especially in English, where I came from the angle of representation of minority Muslims, which is lacking in the Muslim world. I've traveled extensively. I've been to Sudan and I've been to um, Egypt, and I've been to Kuwait and Saudi Arabia, and I don't see a lot of brown Muslims on the covers, you know, of children's books. And so what I said was, if I'm going to do this, then I need to find a niche for myself that I can fill in the need. I have to be able to add something to the table, to the canon of literature. And so the stories that I, I, I craft for Muslim children is to bring representation to Muslim youth of color. Also, I see that you didn't shy away from topics that could that could be considered controversial for children. You mm-hmm. have a book regarding autism as well. Through my travels and, and working with different families as an educator, lots of Muslims are dealing with all sorts of special educational needs, but we don't talk about it once again, you know, and sisters are not forthcoming with their issues and the help that they need. And that was something that I, myself, 11 years ago, found out because my daughter has autism. I was trying to find other Muslim families and to get support for myself. And it was very difficult. It was very difficult for me to find other Muslim parents that wanted to discuss those issues. And so me and my daughter, actually, she came up with the idea that, well, maybe we should write about it. We should write a book about autism and explain it in a way that children and adults can understand it and open that door so we can start to have conversations about the needs of Muslim children as well as adults who are on the spectrum. I think that was a great idea. She had a great idea. She really did. Alhamdulillah. Wow. And there are a lot of people who can relate to that. I've seen or I've read where cases of autism have tripled or quadrupled just in the last 10 years alone. Mm -hmm. Now, another thing you mentioned was about how important it is for people to be able to relate to your story, the Mm -hmm. representation. Now, growing up, there was a magazine that my mother subscribed to, and it was Essence Magazine. And I like that magazine because there were women in it who looked like my mother and the women in my community. 
and they were doing great things. So at the time when Essence came out in the early 70s, it was really a trailblazer for what was available at that time. Recently, they had a cover with, I believe, 100, 100 powerful women or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the only obvious or covered Muslim representation was Linda Sarsour. Mm-hmm. Anybody with a social media account read hundreds and hundreds of posts from Muslim women or Black Muslim women who were seething about that particular option of representation. You wrote something about it. Can you explain why you wrote it and what kind of response you got? Oh, my goodness. How many? I wrote in the article, I believe it was 100 Woke Women, How We Rise Up, Speak Out, and Push the Movement Forward. Um, you. Just like you, my mother, she was a subscriber for years until to this day of SN Magazine. It was also something that was readily available in my house to read. And the representation of us as black and brown and um, yellow women, all of the spectrum of, of blackness has always been in Essence magazine. And it was so interesting when I saw the cover of that photo, 100 woke women and not one brown or black hijabi. It, it really was um, disappointing and heartbreaking that the powers that be at Essence Magazine would choose to erase us. And so I wrote about the erasure of Black women by Essence Magazine, because to my knowledge, they had never had any woman on the cover with a hijab on. And the first one that they chose was, as we all know, Linda Sarasor. And may Allah, you know, have mercy on her and grant her because she is definitely a trailblazer. But that magazine says that it is for that, you know, in their own words, that it's a magazine for black women. So who were they putting her on the cover for? Arab women? I mean, I don't know who they were trying to attract with her on the cover and why were black Muslim women who are, who have been in this country since, as I said in the article, we have been here since the boats came, you know, since, since they arrived on this, this land, we have been here as Muslims. Why were we erased from that, that important article about activism? and about freedom and about the struggles of, of, of blackness and wokeness. What type of feedback did you get after you wrote that article? I saw it shared Hamid. in many places, let me say that. Yes, alhamdulillah, that one went viral. <laughs> um, I don't write a lot of blogs, you know, so when I do, and, and alhamdulillah, they, they are received well by the people that really is encouraging to me, so I want to thank the people for doing that. But alhamdulillah, it was well received. It, it made the rounds, it went viral. You know, we had well over 11,000 reads within the first week or two. So many sisters wrote back and and they said that I had represented their their thoughts and their feelings well. Because not only are we subscribers and our mother's subscribers and our grandmothers have been subscribers, um, as African-American Muslim women, you know, we have non-Muslim women in our families. We are not only just reading about you. We are your cousins. We are your aunts. We are your coworkers. We are, we have always been, you know, shoulder to shoulder with non-Muslim women and we have been there for Essence. So the real question was, you know, why did Essence choose to erase us in such a bold way? And alhamdulillah, you know, I know they have read the article, Essence Magazine, they said that they were aware of the the article and and immediately after that, you know, they put out a couple of articles with young Muslim women, African-American Muslim women and um, Nigerian Muslim women, and 
it was an immediate response to the feedback that that article received. So alhamdulillah, I was very pleased with that. Alhamdulillah. I want to thank you for aggressively using your talents to address the issue in a way that was reached in a way that could be shared. And it was intelligently offered in such a way you had a response. We could feel, we could feel your frustration. And instead of just going ham, you actually offered a solution. You gave mm -hmm. us a list, Muslim movers and shakers mm -hmm. as an example to say, Hey, you don't have to leave us out. Here's some right. notes for your next time when you approach this issue. I thought that was very yeah. helpful. Oh, absolutely. Um, I put up on the blog, I also did another article, Be Inspired, Black Muslim Women Shine, highlighting some, just a small, because I, I mean, I really, I, I couldn't do an article about all of the jewels and gems that we have in our community. We have so many wonderful, active Muslim women who have really led the path for me and myself and so many other young Muslims who are doing things today is because so many other sisters have come before us. So I just put out a couple of, you know, inspiring sisters who are doing wonderful things, but there's so many more. And I wish I had um, the opportunity to, to add on and hopefully, inshallah, next year, I will add on to that list and continue to do that. Inshallah, inshallah. And then speaking of lists, you also had something on your blog that once again, it's, it's a collective community effort. 15 Black Muslim poets that you should know of. And I read where you also write poetry. Mm -hmm. Did you compile this for any particular reason, just to educate the public? What was your reason for compiling the list for the 15 Black Muslim poets? I think that came off of April, which is Poetry Month. And I was seeing all of these wonderful lists that, you know, different publications and online journals were putting out about, you know, inspiring, moving poets who are doing different things in the community. And again, once again, as a writer in the community, I come across so many wonderful other authors and journalists and poets and playwrights that are in our community that we don't talk about and we don't really thank them enough. And so I wanted to take some time and, and to compile a list and say, you know, we have our own within our own community who are doing these things, who are wonderful poets, and we definitely, you know, need to give a nod to them and say, you know, you know, alhamdulillah, thank you for what you are doing in, in exposing this art to the next generation. The last two topics I'd like to touch on before we wrap up. One is the Muslim Girls Read Books Fundraiser 2017. I'd like for you to tell us more about that. And I saw shared on social media where you were giving a seminar or a workshop on writing poetry and skits, basically giving back to the community and helping young minds get in the vein of what you're in. So I wanted to touch on those two things before we close out. Yeah, um, Muslim Girls Read is my baby, my, my new initiative that it's an initiative to get Muslim girls reading and thinking and hopefully eventually making important impacts in our community and their communities in the world around them. And it, it really is geared towards Muslim girls and Muslim boys as well in the inner city communities across America. So many times, especially if you go to the masjid, you know, after Jumu'ah, they're, they're raising funds for so many different things. A lot of those things are outside of the country. And we, we are reminded all the time about the suffering and the needs of our brothers and sisters in lands far away. And at the same time, we oftentimes forget about what is going on right in our own community. I had a sister come up to me and say that, you know, she couldn't afford one of the books. And so I said, you know, alhamdulillah, you know, take the book, sister, it's no problem. 
But she said, you know, my daughter loves to read, but, you know, we don't always have the funds available to purchase Muslim fiction. And so that's one of the things why I, I do recommend, and I tell all the authors when I, I, you know, I buy their books, I say, you know, make sure you donate a book or two to the library. And I tell Muslims, if you go to your libraries in your city, request Muslim fiction from your favorite Muslim authors. This helps us to spread our books out to the communities all over and to make sure that Muslim literature is available to those who can afford it and those who cannot afford it. But the other issue is that we do have this issue in our communities where, as an educator, I have to bring to the, the forefront is that a lot of our children are not reading on grade level. And it's directly tied to the fact that they're not reading. They're not going to the library. And so Muslim girls read came from that, those two issues that I see often in urban education, the fact that many children are in special education, many children are having difficulties with children, especially in the inner city. And then the other thing is that we definitely want to make sure that that we are giving the support that we need to be giving to young Muslim girls because it's so critical. They are your mothers. They're going to become your, the aunts. They're going to become the teachers. They're going to become, you know, controlling the household and they have to be educated. And that starts with reading. With Muslim Girls Read, this Ramadan, we started the Ramadan Fund, the book fund. And alhamdulillah, we raised $855 and we are sending out books, inshallah, next week to four Muslim schools in the United States. And that's going to be an ongoing fundraiser, inshallah, where we can start sending out books into the communities, into the schools that are serving the Muslims who need to read these stories. I remember seeing the flyers posted and uh, different sisters were sharing it all over. And I wasn't sure what became of it. But to hear that you raised even more than what you needed, yeah, and you're shipping those items that. out. I remember uh, in public schools, I waited for risk every year. My mm-hmm. mother was a reader. My mother and my father both readers, and I had a great aunt who had stacks and stacks and stacks of books. So I was introduced to it very early. All types of poetry, history, things like that. And you're right. There were a lot of uh, kids that I knew even that long ago who were not reading on on their reading level, their age level, and they were not encouraged to. It warms my heart to know that you are addressing this issue. Reading is very important, not only for intellectual skills, but in dealing with other people. You may read about people you have yet to meet in different parts of the country or different parts mm-hmm. of the state, and you've been introduced to them through different stories. Right, I think that's a right. Good thing. Absolutely. So, alhamdulillah, yeah, reading allowed you to, to see beyond your own circumstances, your own city, your own environment, and, and to see yourself in other places with other people, and you become hopeful and inspired about the possibilities that Allah can give to you. Now, another flyer that you had that I noticed, I want to let you know, apparently, your social media is working, okay? Was, uh, <laughs> see, right in rhymes for Ramadan, and it's showing where you were having basically a seminar for ages 16 and up, and really introducing them as to journaling, memoir writing, poetry, and skits for Ramadan. Like you're preparing young minds to also enter this field or use writing as a form of expression. Yes, alhamdulillah, that was such a beautiful, uh, we had 15 sisters come together uh, during the month of Ramadan in that online webinar that I did. And it was a beautiful thing. We had sisters of different ages and sisters from all over the United States and London, Canada. What had happened was, I, I, get, I get a lot of letters from sisters and um, saying, 
you know, I want to write, how do I do it? How, you know, can you read this? Can you do this, this? And I'm like, yeah, I'm so swamped right now. I can't get to it. And I wish I could. And so I told the sister, you know, inshallah, this Ramadan, I'm going to put something together. I'm going to dedicate a piece of my time and make it affordable, inshallah, for everybody to just, if you want to do something with me and, and get that feedback. And I was reading their writing. This is the time. And inshallah, I, I plan to do another one next Ramadan. And it's just an opportunity for those sisters and young sisters who are interested and want to get a taste of writing in a formal way and to receive feedback from their sisters as well as me, which is something that I can't do all the time throughout the year. But during Ramadan, because I'm off from you know work and you know, I have that extra time, it's easier for me. So it was a great experience for me. I, you know, the sister told me it's so needed. And so I understand. I hear the sisters out there and um, I try to help them however I can. And to, to give back, that's really what it's about because these are the same sisters who, who read my work and who are inspired by what I'm doing and want to do it themselves. And so I want to help them get on their way. And may Allah reward you for that. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean. Now you told us about all these great books and these great endeavors that you have. Where can listeners go to either order your book or find out more about what you're doing? They can find me on Facebook, on Instagram, just author Umju Media. I'm always the same thing. I have my blog, umjumedia.blogspot.com. And, and then also they can always email me. I respond to email. I love email, umjumedia at gmail.com. I'm also on YouTube, Umju Radio, also Umju Radio. You can Google me on, uh, just Google me, I would say. Google me, Umju Radio, and I should come up, inshallah. You can buy my books on Amazon. They can buy my books at Barnes & Noble. Go to your library. Just go to your libraries first, inshallah, and ask them to order my book. If they don't have me there, say, hey, can you order this book? And tell me when you get it in stock. Inshallah, and you can do that not just for me, but please order books. You know, go to your library and ask for Zakia, ask for um, Nasheed Jackson, ask for Zara J, ask for Sahar Abdulaziz. There's so many of us, but inshallah, please, you know, uh, Malik Salam, I'm giving a shout out to all of the, the Muslims that, that are coming up, Shahada Kanun. Um, so many different sisters out there and brothers who are doing wonderful works, and we got to support each other. We, we know that reading is important. But representation is even more important for our children, for our community. We need to see ourselves in these stories. We need to read about each other's and our struggles and our opportunities and our achievements so that whatever you're going through, you can read something that is similar to your situation. You can see yourself accomplishing something. You can see yourself overcoming stuff. Representation is so important. Muslim fiction is so important. So it's very important that you just not just support me, but you support all of the Muslims out there who are doing things for the Muslim and providing art, visual art, literary art, support the Muslim. I think that's a great note to end this on. Hashtag support the Muslim. So everybody, mm -hmm. you got her blog information. You know where to order her books. I'll also include that information in the post. I want to look up some more information about you as well. This has been a very fascinating and inspiring interview. And I also plan to, inshallah, look up those other authors that you so kindly left their names uh, so we can spread the love and support them as well. Amen, inshallah. Please do. Thank you again for being on the show, Umjawadia. And inshallah, Alana, continue to increase you and, and bless you and have your good work spread and touch so many hearts. 
This is the ending of the Radiant Brilliant Show interview for tonight. If you'd like to be a guest on the Radiant Brilliant Show podcast, you can shoot me, Kimberly Kalima, an email to guestinfo, trbs, at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, Google+, and Twitter under the Radiant Brilliant Show. I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in. And if you like what you heard tonight, leave me a message on the listener feedback line, 704-981-1RBS or 1727. And I will be pulling those segments and adding them to the show. Thanks so much and have a great evening.